Hello and welcome to Sake Revolution, America's first sake podcast. I am your host, John Puma, sake nerd at large, founder of the SakeNotes.com and administrator of the Internet Sake Discord. And I'm your host, Timothy Sullivan. I am a sake samurai, sake educator, and the founder of the Urban Sake website. And together, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake. That's right. And uh, Tim, we're doing sake production. The Sake Education yes. Corner is rocking. Yes. We've gone through the extensive process of rice preparation. Our rice has been washed nine times. At least. It's been soaked. It's been soaked to, to perfection. It's been steamed. Next is koji making, right? That's right. Koji making. It is the sweatiest 48 hours in the entire process of making sake. Uh, that, that sounds unpleasant. And from your tone, I'm going to assume that you've got some hands-on experience with this. Well, I did work in the Koji room and John, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, working there is kind of a bummer. Uh, it's tough backbreaking work, but we need Koji to make good sake. So I'll say it's worth it. Well, I'm all for good sake and, uh, I'm not afraid of a little backbreaking work especially if I'm not the one doing it. So let's get into Koji. Let me paint a picture for you. So you walk into the sake brewery and one of the most hidden away areas is what we call the Koji Muro or the Koji room. Okay. And this is the space where the Koji is made. John, do you want to remind people what Koji is and why we need it in sake? <laughs> uh, Koji is where we take the steamed rice that we talked about previously, and then we add mold to it. And then that becomes Koji. That's right. And what, what role does Koji play in, in the sake mash? Uh, that's going to break down starches and turn them into sugars. That is absolutely right. So this, this Koji molded rice plays a very, very pivotal role in the sake production process. And to make this molded rice, it's something that brewers do not buy from a catalog. They have to make it in-house. So they, every brewery has this room, this koji room in their facility. Mm -hmm. And the specialized brewery workers, it's their job over the course of 48 hours, that's how long it takes, to grow the mold onto the rice. And again, this mold is going to give us an enzyme, as you said, that breaks down starch into sugar. That's how we get glucose or sugar out of the starches that are in rice. So making this koji has, uh, some brewers have told me that has more of an impact than any other step. If your koji is crap, you're, you can't make good sake with it. So uh, it's very, very important. The rooms uh, are very, very narrow and long and very cramped. The reason that they're cramped and very tight is that when you sprinkle the mold onto the spores, if you had a big spacious room, that would dissipate through the air and you couldn't concentrate the mold onto the rice. So it's very cramped and very narrow. And where does mold like to grow in our house? Uh, places that are dark and uh, a little dank. Yes, exactly. A little humid. The little corner in your shower where it's humid and uh, dark. So it's, uh, it's very similar in the Koji room. It's very, very hot. The temperature is around 95 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And 
Koji requires around the clock attention like a little baby. So you need to, to pay attention to it every hour for 48 hours. So someone is always working the night shift when you're making Koji. Mm, sounds like an exciting 48 hours. Uh, <laughs> now I've had the opportunity to witness people making Koji. Uh, I've gotten to see them sprinkling the uh, mold on there, mm. seeing them turning the rice, sprinkling again, turning the rice, sprinkling again. And um, my primary takeaway was that I was very happy that it was not me. Yeah. So you were in the room when they were doing that. I was. I was. Yeah. That's actually kind of a rare opportunity. Most breweries do not let visitors into the Koji room. So to get to see that process in person is, is a real honor. And uh, uh, they... Uh, they are very meticulous about cleanliness. When when I would go in the Koji room, they make you spray alcohol on your hands. And, you know, if you accidentally touch anything, they don't want any stray microbes getting in there. So uh, they're they're very meticulous about that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is something that some brewers specialize in for their whole career. Like they're the Koji master at a brewery, and that's that's their job for their career. Oh, wow. Yeah, amazing. And I, I assume that, I mean, you mentioned how important it is. And I assume that when you're, I mean, at this point, you're, you're essentially cultivating uh, microorganisms. Like, that's highly specialized. And I can see why somebody would end up, like, making that the thing that they want to do, especially if they feel like they have a really good knack for it or if they, or if they just get to a point where they're like, I like the results that I'm getting from here. I don't know if anybody can do this the way I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could see that. Um, I could see somebody taking a personal pride in it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. But one, one of the biggest challenges, I think, is that you are, as you said, you're working with a microbe. It's a living thing. And uh, it never responds exactly the same way. So trying to make excellent koji day after day after day is a challenge because you're working with a living thing that, you know, you need to wrangle it into a certain state of being. And uh, it's, it's, I'm sure it's never boring. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say it seems uh, boring is not, is not a, a term I'd use to describe it. So there's, there's a whole bunch of different steps to making Koji when you, during that 48 hours, we're not going to go into all the individual steps today, but the main purpose of making the koji in the koji room is to basically control the temperature. The more heat that the koji gets, the faster and more uh, aggressively it's going to grow. So one of the skills of the person making the koji is to manipulate that and get the mold growth to be very even over the rice grain. If you let it run rampant, it's just going to grow out of control and uh, you have to keep it uh, much more in line. So what they do is they stack the trays where the koji's growing in these little trays and they shuffle them around. The koji at the bottom is sending heat up through the stack. And if you put the koji at the top, it's going to get the most heat from all the other trays below it. So if you bring that one down to the bottom, you reduce the heat. So a lot of the work of the koji room is adjusting the amount of heat and the amount of activity that the koji mold has. Uh, Tim, I actually encountered at a brewery once uh, an automated tray adjuster. So it would rotate out the top tray to the bottom and so on and so forth with like five or six different trays. And I imagine that it was 
<laughs> purely to to save the employees uh, a couple of hours of backbreaking work every uh, every now and again. Yeah, there are machines that make koji. Oh, really? Uh, that yeah. Make koji. Yep. Uh, it's automation stealing our koji making jobs, Tim. Not anytime soon. Okay. Uh, the koji that you get from from uh, making koji by machine is not very good. So all the premium breweries that I visited and that I know, they don't use machine-made koji for any of their products. Hmm. Uh, humans can still do it better. I don't nice. know what will happen in the future, but for now, their jobs are safe. At least we still have koji making. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I do think that koji making is kind of something that is, uh, to the to somebody who's new to sake, something that they undervalue, perhaps, or don't know about. It is such an important component. Like it, you've mentioned, if, it, if the koji comes, if the koji's bad, there's no way you're making good sake out of that. And that's like, that's a critical 48 hours of, as you mentioned, incredibly uncomfortable and very difficult work. Uh, you're after having to control so many variables to make great sake out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a job at the brewery that I, I wasn't crazy about doing myself, but I have so much respect for the people that take it so seriously and they've really dedicated um, their days and nights to making sure that this koji comes out perfectly. But the most amazing thing I saw was the master brewer. So yeah. this is the guy who has the most experience in the brewery. He's in charge of all aspects of production. And every morning at about 5 a.m., the brewers who were on staff in the koji room pull some of the koji from the latest batch. They put it on a little black tray. They put a napkin over it, and they set it out in the uh, little waiting area right outside the koji room. And the master brewer would come by 5 a.m., pull the napkin off, look with a little with a little loop, you know, a little mic. Mm -hmm. uh, little uh, magnifying glass right and he could judge the quality of that koji in two seconds flat and he told them no temperature needs to come up five degrees temperature needs to come down two degrees oh you we better open we need some more air circulation he knew exactly what to do by looking at it for like three seconds that, i suppose that if you're amazing. if you've done it for enough time you get good at it and you, you know you know mm. looking at it where you're at that's that's amazing yeah i mean to me it all looked exactly the same but he, he knew it <laughs> down to uh, the millisecond, how much mm. you needed to uh, change the growth time or the temperature or whatever. It was just amazing. A lot of respect for those guys. Awesome. All right, so Tim, 48 hours, we're growing this koji. Mm -hmm. We're monitoring, we are not sleeping. Right. <laughs> we're Our, sweating. We're sweating. Someone is not sleeping and somebody else, hopefully, I'm assuming there's shifts being done and, and, and somebody's not just trying to stay awake through this whole thing. Uh, that would probably lead to some questionable koji. Um, what's next? When do we know we're done? Well, at the end of 48 hours, uh, the master brewer is going to give the signal that it's time to pull the plug. And I mentioned that a lot of the work in the koji room is about controlling the temperature. Right. You know, you can raise the heat to make the koji more active or lower the heat to quiet it down a bit. The way that they stop the mold growth is they actually take the koji out of the koji room. So oh. most koji rooms have these like emergency escape doors that they fling open and they bring the koji out on usually on trays and then the temperature drops very rapidly and that stops the mold from growing. Mm -hmm. That step is called de koji, like a D-E koji, de koji. De and that step is the final step. 
And from that point on, you have the finished product of Koji, finished ingredient of Koji. And I assume that we'll get into the continuing adventures of this Koji in our next sake making education corner. Yes. So we've washed our rice, we've soaked our rice, we've steamed our rice, we've kojified our rice, and to be continued. Is kojify a word? No. Oh, it is now. We're, we're, we're going to use that. You heard That's, it here first. We'll make some t-shirts or something and say kojify. <laughs> Uh, excellent. All right. So as is customary on this show, we're going to be sipping some sake. It's time for a tasting. It's time for a tasting. Now, I don't know how to represent Koji in a really important way here. So I think this is a bit of a potluck. Yeah, it's a potluck. All right, good. We're just going to drink things that we think are fun. Absolutely. Tim, Tim, what did you bring today? Something fun. All right. I'm not going to disappoint you. Uh, this is a sake from a brand called Tedorigawa. I'm sure you've heard of it. I have heard of it. Yes. And anyone with Netflix, <laughs> there is a famous movie, The Birth of Sake. I am. A, I'm a backer on that film. My I name is in the credits someplace. <laughs> yes. So Tedorigawa is the brewery that was featured in this movie, The Birth of Sake, which many, many people have seen. Yeah. Um, and the family that runs the brewery is just absolutely delightful. So I'm, I'm so happy for all their success. Uh, this is their Yamahai Daiginjo. So Daiginjo, again, is that super premium grade with the alcohol added. Uh, the English name for this is Chrysanthemum Meadow. That's a, that's a damn good name. I like that. Yeah. And the rice is Gohyaku Mangoku, and it's milled to 45% remaining. 45. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. 45% so, on a Yamaha. Ooh, that sounds, that sounds special. Absolutely. Yeah. So John, what, what did you bring today? So I brought, well, Tim, I went back to Yamagata, but I brought something that's completely different and outside of my typical Yamagata comfort zone. This is a sake from a brand called Echo Fuji and it is their Hankara is what they call it mm. and it's their Honjozo Karakuchi mm-hmm. and Karakuchi is their just means dry basically but usually yeah. when a sake says Karakuchi they want you to know that it is seriously dry it's, it's not karakuchi. like oh this is a little dry it's a Karakuchi no <laughs> no. no no this is, <laughs> this is <laughs> they are serious about about giving you a dry sake and so having a very dry sake from a region like Yamagata seemed like a very interesting, uh, interesting little thought experiment. So here we are. Yeah. So it's uh, as you as we've said many times on this show, Yamagata is known for being like a more fruity kind of uh, aromatic style. So to have a super dry from Yamagata will be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll get into mine. I'm Please do. Give this a pour. All right, let's give it a smell. Mm, oh my God, mm. this smells really good. Oh, lovely. It it smells a little bit, I, this is the power of suggestion because they just said chrysanthemum metal. Uh-huh, I'm ready. But it does smell like wildflowers. Like there's this little bit of a grassy herbal 
flowery note in there that is just intoxicating. It's so, so deliciously fragrant. Mm, I love it. Not much riciness at all, mm. but it's not fruity either. It's this really uh, herbal, um, floral, maybe even a little cut grass, just really, really delicious uh, aroma going on here. Let me give it a taste. Mm, so that 45% rice milling, that gives us a silky smooth body. Very, very smooth. And uh, the, the finish is uh, has a hint of dryness to it, but mm -hmm. just goes down like silk. Really great. Nice. This is a food-friendly daiginjo for sure. Um, it's not too sweet. It's not too fruity. It's not too froofy. It has a nice uh, balance to it. A little bit of, again, this little bit of a very pleasant herbal note mm -hmm. and a dry finish. Just fantastic. Gosh, when a sake is good, it's really good, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's why we're here, I think. The magic <laughs> of delicious sake. Uh, all right. Yeah. Sounds, I'm a, I'm, I, I want some of that. That sounds great. <laughs> it is great. Yeah. So this is this is the the dark side of not doing this show uh, in person anymore is that I can't just be like, ooh, let me have some of that and have a sip. So I'm going to pour some of my Echo Fuji Honkara, which is a clever name. I like that. I think they, they also refer to it as Dry Mountain, which is okay. It's kind of fun. All right. <laughs> Mm. Well, the Japanese love to contract things. So honjozo yeah. karakuchi honkara. That's how they do it. Yeah. So um, so this one is, uh, it's interesting. So it's, the rice is uh, hainuki, which is actually a Yamagata table rice. Mm. This is uh, not exclusively grown as a sake rice. It's actually grown as a table rice. And... It's, that's interesting. It's going to be, it's going to make for something a little different, I think. Uh, it's milled down to uh, 60%, by the way. So the nose is still a little fruity. Not, not, hmm. it's not like Yamagata fruity, but it's fruity. That's like a plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> that their, that their, that their honkara is a little fruity still. Mikara is Tukara. Ah, I like that. That's good. Tim, this is this is silky. This is <laughs> I was not expecting what? this. This is um it's light, it's silky, it's dry and crisp. There's a little sweetness in the middle. Like a little fruitiness. Also, it this is very surprising. This is really interesting. I was having a, a a super dry honjozo made with table rice. My expectation was going to be very rice forward mm -hmm. and, you know, something that you'd really need, not need, but really want food with and not want to sip. Right. This is very sippable. However, that dry, crisp snap at the end mm. really does tell me that I need to eat something with this. Mm. Uh, it really does. Um, I think it would acclimate well to 
grilled meats. Uh, I know that, you know, last week we talked a little bit about yakitori and perhaps, perhaps that's power of suggestion, but I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking some yakitori here. Uh, the fire escape is looking pretty good. Maybe I can bribe the fire department <laughs> <laughs> with, with sake and yakitori. Yamagata never, never has failed us, has it? Yeah, this is, again, just like, I'm just completely surprised at how, uh, how light it is. I expected something really heavy. Yeah, and that they can take an eating rice, a table rice, yeah, uh, and convert that into something so delicious. That takes... That's where the craftsmanship really comes in, I think. The skill of the brewer to make that happen is amazing. Right. I mean, I think that when you have um, when you have great tools, it's I'm not going to say easy, but it's easier to to take them and make something great with it. There's a there's an idea with photography that if you are a really good photographer, you can take a good photo with a with a not amazing camera. And that sometimes you need to um, make up for <laughs> make up for experience by having a really good hardware, by having a really good lens. Uh, and so in this case, they're taking again just table rice and making this mm -hmm. delicious, delicious sake out of it. It's amazing. That's fantastic. Well, good. Now I, I want to try yours. <laughs> well. Um, Dang social distancing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. I can get an Uber. That's going to be <laughs> A, expensive, and B, time-consuming. Uh, but I don't think that's a great idea. It's, uh, we'll have to get together um, one of these days when everything gets back to normal. As soon as we can. And we'll, we'll get this. We'll bring a bottle of this. You bring a bottle of that. And we'll, uh, we'll swap. So, John, I want to talk about one more thing. Um, my sake, again, was a daiginjo, but there's this other word in front of it, yamahai. Yeah, we we don't we haven't really talked much yeah. about Yamaha yet. Yeah, well, I can explain really briefly what Yamaha is. When you make sake, you make what's called a fermentation starter or a yeast starter, and there's different ways to make that yeast starter. Yamaha is one of the more traditional, old-fashioned ways to do that, and it it um, takes a longer amount of time and more wild yeast, wild bacteria gets in there during that process. So. The end result is that Yamahai is a style of sake that can give you more funkiness, more earthiness, a little bit more robust flavors. So to have a Yamahai that is also an alcohol-added super premium is not very common. No. And so I want to make sure everyone understands that. It's a, it's a very interesting uh, juxtaposition. Uh. Yeah, and that that's... Um, the Yamahai aspect of this Daiginjo, I think, gives it that structure. So we have silkiness from the added alcohol and from the very, very low rice milling rate. But the fact that they used the Gohyaku Mangoku sake rice, which is uh, from originally from Niigata, right, but right. it's used for airier, cleaner sakes. Um, and on top of that, they use this Yamahai production method, which gives us a generally more more layered notes, more earthiness, a little bit more uh, robust funkiness sometimes, but they give it a very elegant spin, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, let me think about food pairings for my sake. This is a really interesting one because 
it it has the structure of a more robust sake, but it has the the body and the finish of a super premium. So it's a really interesting blending of styles. Um, I think of things like uh, kind of lighter dishes, uh, not something heavy, not something too rich or smoky, but I think of things like uh, different types of seafood salad, like a crab salad would be excellent with this. Um, uh, Ceviche would be excellent with this. You know, it's interesting. If you have sashimi, sashimi is kind of light, clean, and a very pure taste. But ceviche kind of like turns up the volume a little bit on that. Mm. You have the, the acid in there, the citrus in there, probably some spices. And I think that this has the structure to stand up to that additional layer of flavor. So I would really love to have this with um, different types of seafood. Even raw preparations of seafood would be really good with this, like ceviche, as I mentioned. Um, so, uh, yeah, now I'm getting really hungry again. <laughs> This is the, this is the uh, occupational hazard of our podcast. I think. I think so. I think uh, I think after this, it might be uh, after we're done recording, it might be dinner time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Well, we've learned all about koji, and we've tasted two amazing sakes. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. This is a, this is a interesting and informative episode. I like this and. Uh, I like that we got to have some sakes that defied our expectations in a couple of ways. Absolutely. And uh, in future episodes, we're going to continue our Sake Education Corner series on sake production. And we're going to get into the fermentation parts of sake production, which will be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, But we are going to be breaking those up every now and again uh, with some... Uh, I'll say less serious. No, I don't know if this is too serious, but uh, <laughs> you know, just to just to kind of keep things uh, keep things interesting, we're gonna throw a few changes, a few curveballs every now and again uh, mm-hmm. as we move along during the series, and maybe a few more sake VIP interviews too. Maybe that. Maybe nev- that too. <laughs> you never know who might show up at the Sake Revolution Studios. The where? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you can, please take a moment and rate our show on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. And if you enjoy listening to us cast pods every week, I might recommend that you subscribe wherever you download your podcast so that these episodes will magically show up on your phone or listening device of your choice every time we release one. And as always, to learn more about any of the topics we talked about or any of the sakes we tasted in today's episode, be sure to visit our website, sakerevolution.com, and there you can check out the detailed show notes. And of course, please send us your feedback, your questions, your comments, and your show ideas to our email, feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and... Come